0: Welcome to Politically Speaking, Scotland's flagship political podcast. My name is Mandy Rhodes, I'm the editor of Hollywood magazine, and joining me to discuss the week in politics is my award-winning writer, Liam Kirkoddy.
1: Join myself and Mandy, and the odd politician of course, as we chew the political fat and spit it out on the pages of the forthcoming issue of Hollywood magazine. Well, it'd depend on the situation, wouldn't it? Like, if it was a, a kidnapping or something, possibly. I mean, I should add, I've got no reason to think that Ross Greer does kidnap people. And that's just speculation at this stage.
0: But it's um, the idea of students protesting, saying, what do we want? To fuck the algorithm. When do we want it? Now. Oh, well, to be honest, because uh, I really like, jo- John Swinney said he would actually want to spend it with Shirley Ann Somerville because she's got the best chocolate, but, but I think he, he also said that actually he'd really enjoyed lockdown because it allowed him to spend time with his family.
1: It's, it's all quite complicated, this actually, because Hamza Youssef says he would spend it with John Swinney on the basis that he would think that it would help him lose weight. So if he was with John Swinney, he'd get dragged out of bed to join him on 5am runs, which is probably the opposite of the reason I would move in with someone. Okay, so first up this week we have Good Week, Bad Week. That's a regular part of the show where we talk about the changing fortunes of political players in Scotland and beyond. Mandy, I understand that you've got got an idea for me, I think. Well, it's not
0: really a a political character, but I just wanted to mention the fact that Nottingham police have found a penguin plodding along the middle of the road. They've nicknamed him (laughs) Popo, and they took him back to a farm from apparently where he belonged. But what's interesting to me about this in terms of a good week for penguins, it's not the first time that Nottingham police have found penguins, because last year they found two penguins uh, plodding along the street who'd escaped, uh, who'd actually been stolen, actually, from a local zoo. And uh, Nottingham police had put out an appeal about this with the hashtag
1: cold case. Sorry, just there's a few bits of this. um. Uh, First of all, I'm amazed that you've sprung this on me. (laughs) secondly they don't plod; they parade everyone well, knows penguins parade
0: to be honest it was the police that talked to them uh, talked about them plodding because obviously they thought that was funny i mean these are the policemen that had the hashtag cold case
1: yeah, no, you like that don't you yeah
0: i do like that. I'm sorry, Actually, and they call they, them i find the police are getting quite funny these days in their social media posts
1: I've, see, I've actually, I've a long um, complainer of the police trying to be funny on social media. I think it's really weird. Or oh, do you just think just they should be really more serious? Well, I just think you should really know when you're following the police whether they're taking the piss or not, you know?
0: Oh yeah, I suppose. But anyway, I, I like penguins. So I just thought I'd mention that before we go that into... That's a much yeah.
1: better good week than I've got.
0: Well, actually, to be fair, I don't think the good week is a sensational good week, but it's a kind of, phew, that was an okay week.
1: Is this, this is John Swinney then, who yeah. survived a vote of no confidence?
0: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't entirely unexpected that um, he would survive that vote of no confidence um, over the whole exam debacle, given that the Greens had already indicated that they would vote against the motion, mm. because they obviously came to the rescue of all students by forcing the government into a U-turn and allowing the assessed grades by teachers to
1: stand. Yeah, the the, the government basically did just give in to their list of um of, of demands. It, demands. It kind of stretches the... Mm stretches the concept of good, I would say, that you have to sit in a room with a bunch of people, some of whom probably actually hate you, who mm. run through all your failings for over an hour and then later decide they're not going to sack you. I mean, that's it's one of the reasons I don't think I'd be able to handle politics.
0: It was pretty awful. I mean, to be honest, watching um, John Swinney having to sit through that. What, do you think um, Ross Greer would force you into giving into his demands?
1: Well, it'd depend on the situation, wouldn't it? Like, if yeah. it would, like kidnapping or something, possibly.
0: Oh, I suppose so, yeah. It felt like a kidnapping, to be honest. I mean, I should um, add, I've
1: got no reason to think that Ross Greer does kidnap people. And that's just speculation at this stage.
0: Well, he's just a kid, isn't he? <laughs> like a kid <laughs> he won't like that yeah. um I mean actually there were some really despite it feeling distinctly uncomfortable I'm watching somebody like John Swinney who I think everybody I think even his critics were saying um they would regard him as an honorable man mm. um there were some really impassioned speeches made during the debate particularly from ex- teachers Ian gray and Joanne Lamont yeah um,
1: I actually, I did. I thought that their their contributions. Uh, I thought Willie Rennie was quite strong as well. I actually thought I mean, Richard Leonard's was was pretty appalling, to be honest.
0: Yes, it was. Yeah.
1: No, he, I mean, he was getting he was calling him Sweeney for a bit of it.
0: Oh God.
1: Uh-huh. Um, and Ruth Davidson, I also thought was pretty lacklustre. So actually, it was a, it was one of these moments where the some of the opposition, or sorry, of the backbenchers, I should say, actually kind of came through.
0: Well, I really felt that – I have to say, I like Mike Russell's summing up. It was his usual um, kind of oratory. But Angela Constance, she really, I felt, struck the right tone about the values of John Swinney and his value um, in terms of ongoing public service. Uh, and I also think Angela was right when she said that no one would be more critical of the man than the man himself. Mm. And as you watched him sitting there, you thought, yeah, he must have been really feeling it and really thinking himself about what had happened and his role in it.
1: Yeah, it looked absolutely horrific to have to sit yeah. through that. I mean, I suppose the backbenchers probably would have had a bit more credibility if they'd come out being more critical earlier on. You know, it's only afterwards that we hear about that, you know, they would had all these concerns.
0: Exactly. I know. Although I have to say that kind of brings us on to the bad week, <laughs> it, because despite everything that happened in Scotland um, and you would have thought that the English, um, the UK, well, the UK government would have looked at that knowing that they had their A-level results. Going to come a week later might mm-hmm. have actually learnt something. I think the one thing they learnt was that um, they perhaps shouldn't tweet things when they're about to go through the same thing themselves. And we saw a whole load of MPs having to delete tweets that they'd made about the Scottish situation. It just seems unbelievable to me that having watched everything that happened in Scotland, that the UK government allowed itself to get into an even worse mess and is in a worse mess.
1: Yeah, so it's a kind of nightmare situation having to live through the chaos of Scottish politics two weeks later. Um, We kind of saw that in the independence referendum followed by the Brexit referendum. That They kind of seemed caught out by the chaos of that. But then it's also, it's kind of a perfect storm for a lot of conservative MPs because they're really, really going to take it badly if there are uh, kids performing well from deprived backgrounds who are being overruled by the system in general. You know, these are the the individual who's worked hard, done their best, got good exam results, and then they've been screwed over by an algorithm. (laughs) I can't think of many things that are going to annoy a lot of Tories more than that.
0: And it, well, I, and then to have the education secretary Gavin Williamson basically, and obviously I'm paraphrasing, but saying that you couldn't give kids the higher grades because it would hamper their job chances in the future because they wouldn't be properly equipped enough to do the jobs they were being asked to do. This from <laughs> you know this from a man that was sacked as defence secretary for allegedly leaking information that could be a threat to the national security.
1: It is thin ice, isn't it? You're oh. on thin ice. In that <laughs> really.
0: I know. I, I thought uh, Conservative MP Sir Robert Sims, he told The Times, um, I think it was yesterday, in December, people voted for Boris Johnson to run the country, not an algorithm. What's happening was avoidable. We saw what happened in Scotland. They got themselves in a hole, then got themselves out. We seem to have gone first in and we're still digging. Mm. It's not great when your own side are going for you, is it?
1: no. No.
0: I suppose the thing I really like, though, is you've got all the, and it is incredibly serious and the protests are are necessary and important, but it's um, the idea of students protesting saying, what do we want? To fuck the algorithm. When do we want it? Now. It's 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 not that catchy, is it?
1: No, they can work on it, but that's, you know, that's something they can do later.
0: Yeah. Well, what a week and it's not going away, is it? No. So, Liam, it's that time of the year, actually, where we've just put the um, annual Hollywood magazine review of the year to bed, um, which is basically our take, a, a kind of government, a report card on the government um, when we ask all the cabinet secretaries to take part in a Q&A with us about things pertinent to their portfolio. The journalists, the Hollywood journalists all write about the particular areas um, that the cabsex cover and give some kind of analysis and assessment of how well or not that they've done. Um, and we, we kind of ask some fun questions as well. But basically, this is to get a feel of what has this year meant? And I guess the overriding thing was this year has been dominated by COVID.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing, actually, because obviously that really emerged around around January. And this this publication does cover things before that. And it just made me, you know, when we're going back researching this, you suddenly realise all these stories that seemed at the time like they were going to be the absolute biggest story of the year that have basically just disappeared now.
0: Absolutely, yeah. It's I mean, I, I think um, every cab site that we interviewed uh, or wrote for the Q&A, um, COVID was the main thing that that they talked about. Um, and the prediction was that that's also what will dominate for the coming year.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think in, in, with the programme for government coming up as well, it's going to really make that quite quite difficult to imagine how you write that at the moment, knowing yeah. that this could go on and on and on, or it's possible that it is possible that there'll be some kind of fresh space for new policy ahead of the election.
0: Well, I think the um, the kind of other big theme throughout all the interviews, because we did a lot of interviews with um, CEOs of various companies and organisations, was the whole idea of how do you now recover? And that was, mm. um, you know, mainly based around economic recovery, a green recovery. Um, I mean, all various companies had different solutions to what they were doing and how they were trying to get back to some normality.
1: Yeah, there's a kind of a jostling for space at the moment in public affairs, isn't there, about how, how trying to influence this recovery, whether it's going to be a green one, whether it's going to be the, the trade unions that lead it, whether it's going to be employment for young people. There's all different sorts of different aspects where people are trying to kind of elbow each other out the way and shape shape it.
0: Yeah, and I thought, well, I think what was interesting for me, obviously we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago, but I did an interview with Benny Higgins, who's been leading for the government on a, basically a blueprint for our economic recovery, mm. and what I wanted to get from the interview was, well, who is this man? What makes him tick? What's influenced his decisions? And in some ways, it was <laughs> it was quite easy that you know this is a man that um, well, he's been married five times, but he's got uh, six children plus two teenage stepdaughters, and really for him, looking at their futures and what it might hold, that's helped influence the way that he has focused on on who who and what is important in this recovery. And that kind of age group, that 16 to 24 generation, mm. um, that's what he's concerned about. And he's concerned about that generation of, of young people not getting lost.
1: Mm-hmm. That yeah. came up quite a lot in the Q and A's as well, didn't it? And you know, especially the I think it was invi- um, the environment one. Rosanna Cunningham talks about that, you know, trying to shape this and making sure that there is a, an environment for people going forward as well.
0: Yeah, um, I think I think for him in particular because his background was he grew up in Prospect Hill Circus in Tory mm-hmm. Glen in Glasgow, kind of seventies and eighties. That was that's actually the same area that Michael Matheson, um, the Transport Secretary, where was raised, and he, I think for Benny Higgins, it's ensuring that you don't, in the same way that happened in the 80s, you don't lose young people because they don't have hope, they don't have ambition, they don't know what their future is going to hold. Mm. And he very genuinely has put that at the core of his proposals to government, particularly around education, training, a a job guarantee for that age group as well. Mm. It's pretty ambitious, but he also is very clear uh, in saying that none of this is going to be easy and none of us should think it's going to be easy.
1: Hmm. And then obviously the the publication also had pieces by the party leaders, I know you're going to want to talk about that. I think there's another aspect that we should pull out from the Q&As as as well, which is that we actually asked each of the cabinet secretaries if they had to spend lockdown with one other member of the cabinet, who would it be? (laughs) Um, And I think this is actually probably one of our greatest successes so far, uh, some are better than others, I should say. There's a few that I would like to call out. Uh, okay. To here. Oh, diplomatic. She's, she's too diplomatic to answer, yeah. uh, which is definitely mi- minus points. Yeah. Michael Matheson, I would say, uh, found in fairly pathetic answer, says that <laughs> it would either be Rosanna Cunningham or Mike Russell who he would spend lockdown with because they have such a nice surrounding countryside in the area. Oh. Uh, oh,
0: that's to be a fair, it's because he loves walking.
1: Yeah, well, you can cling to that if you want, Michael Matheson.
0: <laughs> you wanted something sexier there, didn't oh, you? I wanted something
1: better, yeah. yeah. So um, Fiona Hislop here would spend it with Aileen Campbell um, because they wouldn't have to talk about work. No, not Fiona much. Hislop. Oh, yeah, she, didn't not work, right. she, she
0: wasn't going to say anything about anyone. Fiona
1: Hislop was diplomatic. Yeah, this yeah, is Shirley yeah. Ann Somerville. Yeah. Shirley yeah. Ann Somerville would spend it with Aileen Campbell. Um, yeah. And questionable answer because they wouldn't have to talk about work. I mean, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> it works, uh, your hobby, then, you know.
0: Well, to uh, be honest, because I really like, John Swinney said he would actually want to spend it with Shirley Ann Somerville because she's got the best chocolate.
1: All right, okay.
0: But I think okay. he, he also said that actually he'd really enjoyed lockdown because it allowed him to spend time with his family.
1: Yeah, he said he was disappointed when it ended, wasn't he? Yeah. Mean, was the right I'm not about.
0: surprised he then got into the education debacle.
1: It's, it's all quite complicated, this actually, because yeah. Hamza Youssef says he would spend it with John Swinney on the basis that he would think that it would help him lose weight. He said, uh, in, in lockdown, I've put on weight from snacking too much while at home. So if he was with John Swinney, he'd get dragged out of bed to join him on 5am runs, which is probably the opposite of the reason I would move in with someone.
0: Yeah, but also John Swinney's munching away at shelley Ann well, Somerville's exactly. chocolate. I mean, what's so, going on?
1: Yusuf wants to go on some sort of exercise regime, John Swinney wants to do less exercise and eat more chocolate. Kate Forbes, meanwhile, is obviously aware that she may alienate everyone, and by saying that, I mean, she does explicitly warn that. Um, she says she couldn't do better than the health secretary, so she wants to spend it with Jean Freeman, uh-huh. um, which actually, I think that's questionable too, because surely that's, you don't want to be the person who's at the forefront of fighting the pandemic you want to go with the person who's got an easy time well i was gonna say she'd be quite busy wouldn't she yeah she's gonna be really stressed and then so then jean freeman we asked her who would you spend lockdown with she said she's already basically spent lockdown with the first minister because obviously they've been working together on covid Mm -hmm. um she also announces that her partner has been making the first minister soup which i thought was very nice so she's doing a soup for her every day
0: no, that's. So. I liked Fergus Ewing because he said. First of all, we asked him who would you like to spend lockdown with, and he very politely said, "Well, if I'm allowed, I'd um I'd pick Ivan McKee because he plays jazz saxophone and um he'd be able to accompany him on the piano uh, because he's had a lot more practicing during lockdown than than he normally can manage."
1: Would you enjoy spending lockdown with Fergus Ewing on the piano and Ivan Mickey on the saxophone? Mondays? I that so if
0: I could have um, some soup to start with, a bit of chocolate, and then go for a run with John Swinney. <laughs> I think
1: it's not the run that puts me off; it's the five AM run.
0: <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, Liam. Which politician would you like to spend lockdown with?
1: Oh, based on this, I'd go for the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. What about Boris Johnson? You could be in a fridge. I mean, the thing is, I honestly think with Boris Johnson, it could go either way. It might be that, you, you, you know, you'd, you'd hate it, or it might be that you'd have a really, really brilliant time. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. And he's on holiday in Scotland at the moment, isn't he?
0: Where yeah, is but we don't, know, we don't know where he is, do we?
1: No, well, that's very clever of him. He doesn't want me arriving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and anyway, let's uh, the party leaders. Other, yeah,
1: there were other parts of this we were meant to discuss. <laughs> yeah,
0: there were other parts. And um, we didn't ask, actually, the party leaders who they'd like to most spend lockdown, <laughs> uh, lockdown with. But um, the party leaders all said various things. Uh, I What I thought was interesting from Nicola Sturgeon was because people have been saying, oh, she's um, not been saying anything about politics. She's not been saying anything about a second referendum, blah-de-blah. She said the upcoming... <laughs> Is that what they said? Blah-de-blah. Blah-de-blah. Um, Nicola Sturgeon says this upcoming election will be the most important in Scotland's history, which... It's interesting, but we should probably look back at some of the important elections in Scotland's history and maybe slightly question that. But basically what she is saying is this election is going to be about um, a second referendum, that that will firmly be in the SNP's manifesto Mm. um, and that this will be a very stark choice. And in her words, between the progressive policy platform offered by the SNP and the utterly regressive agenda of the Conservatives.
1: Yeah, and Douglas Ross also wrote a piece um, in which he says that COVID has proven that we can't waste any more time talking about independence because we could be trying to prepare the country for future shocks. So they've obviously taken quite different lines on this. I don't I mean, was it ever ever in doubt that there would be a second independence referendum pledge in the manifesto?
0: Well, I thought it was interesting that the National last week splashed on a headline of there will be a second referendum. You know, I mean, Mm. I didn't think it was a shock. Uh, Having, no, I think their splash was that the second independence referendum would be in the SNP's manifesto. Well, I think an independence referendum has been in every SNP's manifesto. So I, don't think, I know, I don't think it was a huge shock. Um, but the FM's comments come after a YouGov poll for the Times had revealed that 53% of Scots, excluding the don't-knows, would vote in favour of Scottish independence. So, you know, they're at an all-time high at the moment. Mm. Um, but despite that, uh, in you know, common with many political parties, we've got the party, the SNP party, the SNP fighting like a sack of frogs.
1: Sorry, a sack of frogs. A Sack of frogs. Is that <laughs> like, is that definitely the
0: expression. Actually, do you know what? I don't think it is. I don't think fro- do frogs fight. You know what I mean? No, no, they're no. fighting. I'd have
1: come with something more stingy or bitey. Than a frog. Like
0: a, a sack of bees.
1: A sack of A sack of
0: bees. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Listen, they're just fighting, and they're not in a sack.
1: A shoebox full of scorpions.
0: <laughs> something like that.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and that's all to do. There's ongoing anger about the decision making of the NEC. That's mm. National Executive Committee of the the SNP with calls for that that organisation to be much more open about who's on it and why and how individuals vote. I mean, it's all a bit Geeky, perhaps politically, mm-hmm. but much of this is centred on the decision to firstly uh, for the NEC to effectively deselect the sitting MSP for Glasgow Cathcart, James Dornan, by making his seat an all women shortlist. Mm-hmm. But then that decision was very quickly reversed when A, James objected to that because he would be standing, yeah. and B, it was found to be against the party's rule book.
1: So he he announced he was going to stand down, then the pandemic came and he decided yeah. that he needed to sort of stay in the post because he was an experienced MSP or for whatever reason he felt it wasn't a, yeah. a good time to stand down. He tried to reverse the decision. By that point, the NEC announces, well, th- that case, we're going to make it a woman only shortlist, so you're out then it reverses it again and allows him back in.
0: Well, no, to be fair, I think he had announced that he was going to stand. So he'd already announced some time ago that um, he'd reversed his original decision not to stand. The NEC only met um, last week uh, or two weeks ago and um, made a decision that uh, James would not be allowed to stand because they were making it an all-women shortlist. He objected quite strongly almost immediately and they backed down almost immediately when they were told that this wasn't constitutional.
1: So basically um, there's been a series of U-turns which have left us facing in the same position we were originally. With James <laughs> <Dornan>. <laughs>
0: exactly, which is James Dornan standing for selection for the seat that he currently holds. Um, yeah. But also amid all of this, the ongoing dispute over whether the decision by the NEC to not allow MPs to stand as MSPs unless they give up their Westminster seat Um, whether that was actually a move to stop Joanna Cherry from standing. Mm. And that's been, you know, kind of speculation about that's been further fuelled by apparent leaks from previous NEC meetings, which appear to bolster the view that the NEC had tried to deselect Miss Cherry ahead of the 2019 general election. Mm. And now it also seems that a number of those on the NEC, the ones that are making up the rules, that aren't already MPs or MSPs, and are obviously responsible for designing the selection of candidates, have now put themselves up as potential candidates.
1: Yeah, it's all a bit Scottish Labour, isn't it? <laughs> if, you know, all is, a bit new you know, Scottish Labour, yeah. We also had the Alan Smith and the Chris McElhenney, um kind of moves to try and change the structure to stop this stuff happening or in response to it.
0: Yeah, a bit well. So you also had Alan Smith coming out after it is geeky. I, I completely recognise it. And we're obviously obsessed <laughs> with all these things. But after the NEC, it seemed a bit of a mess up. Um, Alan Smith then came out um, saying that the wrong decision had been taken, re uh, Miss Cherry. And then that angered various people on the side of the party that seemed to support particular issues around self-ID and GRA reform. Mm So so to be honest, in all of this, there are just ongoing splits and arguments around the Gender Recognition Act reform, increasing hostility about the proposals contained within the hate crime bill, Mm -hmm. which also seem to be wound up in the GRA issues as well.
1: Yeah, Um, and plus just generally stuff about Nicola Sturgeon's leadership seems to be emerging from this as well.
0: Yeah, well, actually, I think that feeds back to your second referendum question. Some people Mm -hmm. feeling that that she isn't being strong enough on this, that it's all very well to keep saying we're winning this plan A in that we're we're getting the support for a second referendum going up and up. But we're still left in a position where it will still be up to Boris Johnson whether or not we can hold a second referendum. Mm -hmm. But amid all of this, you've also got this week's start of the Scottish Parliamentary Committee investigating how the Scottish Government handled sexual harassment claims against the former First Minister. And all of this, I have to say, it gives the impression that this is a party just fighting amongst itself. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, really the worst possible moment.
0: Uh, the, the worst possible moment. And actually, I interviewed the Justice Secretary Humsar yourself last week about this, but also about what his hate crime bill could actually mean. So we're going to hear some of that now. But When you look back and look at Derek going, we've got um, the parliamentary inquiry into the Salmond allegations and how that was handled lot of in-party fighting appear to go on around GRA, around party selection. How are you feeling at the moment about party, basically?
2: I feel like if the party were the person, I'd just grab it by the shoulders and give it a good shake uh, and just say to the party, just put yourself together here. Um, I've, been, I've been in the party for... 15 years. Many people have been far longer than me, um, but the 15 years that I've been in the party, we have never, ever been closer to our goal. i um, have never ever been closer to independence than we are now, for sure. Um, and there's a whole variety of reasons, factors for that. And just when we're at that point where you can practically touch it, um, there seems to be a number of uh, fights happening over a number of issues. A uh, number of fires being. Well, started and then put out right across um, not just the party but even the wider movement, uh, the wider yes movement. And I think, you know, I, I saw an interview from the First Minister, with Gwen Campbell, from the BBC a couple of days ago, and, and I just thought she pitched it perfectly.
0: Well, except she is the leader, <laughs> and instead of saying the party should pull itself together, shouldn't she take the lead? Or so shouldn't some of you take the lead? And, um, and actually say, this is what should happen rather than... I mean, particular things like the GRA have caused huge problems th- across the party. How do you solve that?
2: So let, 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 let's say two questions. So yeah, this idea that the FM should get embroiled in party matters in the midst of a global pandemic, which is the biggest challenge we've ever faced. I'm telling you right now, uh, 99% of people out there do not care about what decisions the NEC have made. Commentary on thats different. Now, except yeah, that, or hate crime, which is a bill, which I've taken through, which has gathered a fair bit of commentary and controversy. But 99% of people don't care about the party fighting and fighting. So for the FM or the suggestion that the FM should be distracted from the handling of the global pandemic, that's a, that's a ludicrous suggestion. On, 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 on issues like GRA and, and and hate crime, for me, they're going to centre on, one is how genuine we are, and we will be genuine on this, but how genuine we are on listening to those concerns. And, you know, again, I can speak more authoritatively about hate crime, because I'm, I'm leading it and taking it forward. So I've got a job to do to make sure I can genuinely listen to where the concerns are coming. So I can filter out what is not genuine, what is just a political attack. And I can filter all that out, but there's plenty of genuine concerns. GRE is similar. There are some very, very genuine concerns, undoubtedly, um, that women have. I think there's some that are not genuine concerns, and they're coming from really dangerous places, actually, some of the concerns. But they're clearly very genuine concerns. Um, And our job is to listen. So obviously, pre-COVID, we paused the legislation Sorry, further consultation uh, exercise, listening to women in particular about their concerns. Obviously, now with Covid, it's unlikely the GRE bill will come in this parliamentary term. So, we just have to make sure that we are genuinely listening to the concerns that are out there.
0: I mean, both with GRE and the hate crime, they've kind of impacted more directly the hate crime, but on your portfolio area. And I think one of the biggest concerns around GRA for women has been the conflation of gender and sex. Mm. And clearly that does matter when it comes to crime statistics. Do you accept that there are unintended consequences perhaps of some proposals that are well-intentioned but can have an impact that
2: is not... For sure, 100%. And hate crime is the same. Uh, Absolutely the same. And and, 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 we've got to always be cognizant of what those unintended consequences can be. I take the example that you just gave around crime stats, it's why Shirley Ann created a group that is specifically looking at the data implications of the GRA reforms um, um, th- 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 that are proposed. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's an argument that I think you know, legitimately people can say oh, you should have done that in advance of when you did. It's fine. Hold up your hands and say that's legitimate. But ultimately, of course, uh, legislation are uh, unintended consequences. Our, our, I think our reaction to that, or if we are going to steer legislation through the parliament, that is going to be controversial. Um, but we believe, principally, it's the right thing to do, as I do, absolutely, uh, with what they can do as a government, with, with GRE, then we've got to be willing, at times, to step back, to listen to those concerns, address them, and, and, and move
0: forward. Obviously the manifesto last time said GRA reform, but that has then come to mean many things for many different people. I mean our, our manifesto, manifesto promises deliberately unnuanced, you know so that if you had said, this is what we mean by GRE reform. Um, we might not have
2: got into some of the problems that we've got into. Uh, again, you know, asking questions for a manifesto, and, you know, four years ago, and we could be have wanted things better or been clearer, potentially. But ultimately, you know, when GRE reform was first uh, proposed by the party, um, I just didn't know much about it, so I thought, well, I'm going to educate myself. And I remember sitting down with folk from the Trans Alliance to understand better what it meant for them, and what did it change. In certificate mean for them but then also of course it's been really important that we are listening to the voices that pose. and I think that is and if that is done in, in a genuine way and that's why of course the legislation was paused again pre-COVID to make sure that although we've done that genuine listening I believe there's clearly still an anger from a number of women in particular um, that the reforms were going ahead and they felt that it wasn't addressing their concerns. So we've got to we've got to we've got to genuinely listen and see can we do anything to assure and reassure as best we possibly can, but ultimately also we've got to listen to those that are affected um, from from the trans community too. And I think this when I sat down with with Vic from the Trans Alliance, you know, Vic told me what getting the birth certificate would mean for them, and you know I can't remember the last time I used my bus certificate there. Um, But, you know, what it actually meant for that individual was incredibly powerful, so I suppose what I'm trying to get at here is whether it's hatred or GRE and politics in general, and I'm really, I'm as bad as as anybody else, is I'm not convinced that there's genuine listening to what the concerns are from each side of this. I suppose on what I would say is on the
0: GRA, by going out and speaking to the trans alliance, did anybody think to speak to women's groups at the same time?
2: Scottish Women's Aid, they're supportive, obviously. Yeah. and gender, they're supportive. Yeah, we support definitely. But I think what the criticism back has been is well, how representative? Can an organisation like that be, I and mean, how can the yeah, Scottish Women's Aid, yeah, no, represent every single woman? And every single view of every single individual claim to, of course, do that. So, so I, 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 I take these criticisms, I think we should as a government be open to those criticisms and, and say, well, actually, so how, we, how do we listen and prove? But ultimately, we also have to be very conscious of how we articulate why we're doing what we're doing.
0: I, I mean, I agree with you I think there's been a lot of misinformation, but when I think of conversations that I've had with James from Trans Alliance, he has said to me that they now wish that they hadn't gone on trans women or women in that kind of um, assertive way because it almost starts from a divisive it's got a core of division in it but also saying that this campaign was around it was the same as section 28 so they for opposition to that was similar when in fact they're not Um, so I think lots of people look back now and think the core of division was kind of
2: seated at the beginning, possibly. I, I'm conscious yeah. of, of, of that when it came to hate crime. You know, just because people opposed hate crime, for me, doesn't make them a racist. Definitely not. You know, people oppose hate crime. Many of them have very specific concerns around why they oppose it. Most of them on freedom of speech. And so, I've got to be really alive to that. So you're right. I mean, the way you tend to approach these things, I think, is is going to going to really matter when it comes to trying to bring various different groups together.
0: And in a nutshell, what is the hate crime legislation for you?
2: For me, it is the very minimal we can do to protect the most vulnerable in our society against what I'm afraid to say is a rising tide of hate. And I've seen this rising tide, frankly, since 9 and I've seen it increasing. Um, I've seen it come slowly but surely to our shores, um, and I don't just mean the United Kingdom as a whole, certainly in Scotland as well, and for me the hate crime gives those essential protections without criminalising people's freedom of speech, which is of course never unfettered, and there's always been restrictions on, 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 on freedom of speech, and we do so for the protection of minorities. For me, I'm going beyond the nutshell that you asked me to, but for me what I've got to get right as a steer this bill through Parliament is identify where there are areas of the bill that we can tighten in terms of language. What can we do in terms of giving assurance to those people who who feel that the freedom of speech, and this is just the state cracking down on their freedom to be offensive, which it isn't, or freedom to insult, which is isn't. Other than and racial stunning up offences, insulting, is an legal threshold than any of the other stunning up offences? So how do we ensure that we that I give as much? I think reassurance is possible about not losing the principal objectives of the bill.
1: And
0: would would J. No, it's fine. But so would J. K. Rowling be someone that had committed hate speech by mm. saying a trans woman is not a woman, but a trans woman not is a, a trans, trans woman?
2: No, she wouldn't be. She would be prosecuted. If you were to say, if you were to say. Um, a trans uh, man is not a trans. Is not a real man, or a trans woman is not a, a real woman. Uh, you would not be prosecuted under the bill that I'm to bring forward, so long as you didn't do it in a threatening or abusive way that is intended or likely to start a patron. So if you went up, you know, if I went up to a, a, a trans man, you know, picked him up against the wall and said, "You're not a real man," you know, uh, and, and or burst into a meeting with a hundred with me it was a meeting of trans men and said, you're not all, you know, trans men are not, all, uh, are not real men, um, then potentially, you know, um, if I was being threatening or abusive and likely to stir up hatred, then I'd be committing a crime. But J.K. Rowling putting out a tweet, you know, uh, as she did expressing her views, would just not be prosecuted.
0: Under what about somebody coming up to me and pointing in my face and saying,
2: you're a TERF? No, it depends, again, if that was threatening or abusive and intended uh, intended or likely to start up hatred. If you thought it was, the obvious thing that you would do is go report it to the police. The police would um, look at the evidential base, Uh, they would determine whether or not they thought it was threatening or abusive or indeed uh, it was likely to start up hatred and then of course they would send a report to the fiscal. yeah, it would depend if the charges brought forward. So I'm not going to be able to give you a definitive on, on every single situation that ever occurs because that's for the courts to decide, but I think if you cannot make your point, if you're unsure that you're able to make your point without being threatening or abusive and stirring up hatred, then I would suggest you probably shouldn't make
0: it. Yeah. Do, do you think in a way the hate crime legislation has suffered because it's come at the same time as this
2: whole GRA debate?
0: they become convoluted.
2: Oh, undoubtedly. Be foolish for me to pretend otherwise. Uh, it's undoubtedly. And look, I, I, I purposely before the bill met with people uh, who have been opponents of, of GRA reform as well as those who support it. So I, I met with Jordan Camping, MSP, for example, beforehand. I've uh, to Joanna Cherry a couple of times uh, about the bill uh, as well to, to hear their thoughts. Um, I'll continue to engage including with people who, who, who are very supportive of the GRA reform. So for example, you know, we have broad support from the Equality Network, from the Trans Alliance, for the Hate Crime Bill as well. And, and look, whatever your feelings on the GRA reform, nobody, nobody can tell me that trans people do not suffer an enormous amount of hatred. And um, you know, this bill will give them and other people um, a great amount of protection.
1: Okay, so it's time for the final part of the show. That is Mandy's rant of the week. This was originally a section of the show where Mandy would let loose about something that's bothering her in, in much the same way that uh, an old man traps you at a bar and... Um, when you're trying to order and tells you everything that's wrong in the world. I understand that we've now introduced table service in a lot of places to avoid that. But the good news is that Mandy is here at hand to offer an opportunity to do it. Mandy, what have you got? I believe you've got a, a rant of some kind? Oh well, kind of, but firstly <laughs> I sort of object to being called the
0: old man in the pub. I'm like this nicotine stained old geezer.
1: That's what we all call you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure you should be telling me that um yeah well so I suppose this this kind of annoying annoyance of the week feeds into various annoyances I have. But it's now that people are wearing face masks, which is a good thing, (laughs) but then they're throwing them away in the street. And you you're picking your way along pavements with face masks everywhere. I can't stand it. It's like, you know, it's like the old poo bag dog poo bag argument mm. why why go to the bother of wearing one not a poo bag a face mm. mask and and realizing that you're wearing it because you're trying to either prevent germs getting out or germs getting in but then you rip it off your face and throw it on the pavement where everybody else has to try and avoid it
1: well, what kind of masks are these? Are these disposable masks? That yeah. Because I don't think you'd want to throw it like, away. You wouldn't want to buy one and then throw it away, would you?
0: Well, you might. I remember I'm making ones out of uh, socks.
1: Well, I tried to do that, and I'm going to admit that it looked awful. It looked genuinely <laughs> appalling, what I'd produced. Uh, i produced. And I tried to give them out to people, and I, was, I would say I was shamed, really.
0: Uh, They haven't been throwing them away in the street, have they,
1: Liam? Maybe they have. Do the ones that you see look like old socks?
0: No, the ones I see are those paper, kind of surgical-type masks. But I'm just astonished that people... Well, I suppose I remain astonished that people um, discard the litter, generally, in streets. But taking (laughs) off a face mask and throwing it in the street... Oh, It's just not nice.
1: I don't know if I've ever met anyone with such a dedication to pavement etiquette as you.
0: I'm always terrified about it because I think someday someone will find me accidentally, I don't know, you know, opening something in my pocket and a bit of litter just accidentally falling out and I'll be I'll be shamed. Yeah. I'll be, you, have I ever told you about the time when I worked for Scottish television. I presented this programme called um Community Something or I've tried to erase I
1: can remember, remember your own TV. Scottish
0: show. Scottish action. And um I had to, uh, we were filming people who were allowing their dogs to poo in the park and not pick it up. (laughs) Whoa, 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 why? (laughs) This (laughs) was the absolute pinnacle of my journalistic career. So I was wired up for sound. The cameraman was hidden and he was filming people allowing their dogs to poo in the park, not pick it up. I would then run over with a poo bag and say, Excuse me, sir or madam, but we've just filmed you allowing your dog to do this. Can I offer you this poo bag? This was in central Glasgow. you,
1: You were basically doorstepping dog poo.
0: I was doorstepping dog poo. And I can always remember my husband saying when we took our dog out, you just you know you're bound to be being followed at some point by you know a sun journalist or whatever
1: yeah Yeah. pops up and runs at you how did people react to that why were you doing that
0: do you know know what there's a guy that still works at haymarket station and if i ever get the train from haymarket he always calls me the Pooh girl
1: (laughs) that's another one of your nicknames
0: (laughs) (laughs) just another one of my nicknames politicians should do something about that liam (laughs) So they say a week is a long time in politics and you've just heard a fraction of that condensed into today's politically speaking podcast. I hope we've enlightened and entertained and the next time you hear someone say they're not interested in politics, remember you know a podcast that can help them with that. If you enjoyed this episode of Politically Speaking from Hollywood magazine and the chat between Liam and I, remember to subscribe and leave a review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also remember to check out our fortnightly release of Hollywood magazine, available in print or online at hollyrood.com. Bye for now.